We also caution investors to look out for companies that have been acquisitive in the past, looking to continue to buy growth and maintain higher risk profiles with higher leverage over time. From our remote offices in the New York Tri-State area, welcome to No More, Risk Better, a Credit Sites podcast. This podcast offers conversations with our analysts to get their perspective and expertise on the global credit markets. If you're an investment professional that touches a wide universe of fixed income, you will want to give us a listen. We are living a surreal life right now, but our team of nearly 100 analysts continues to publish content to our more than 15,000 readers across the global credit markets. I'm Christopher Snow, the moderator, and I'm here with Lauren Holland, Senior Analyst on Paper and Packaging. Hi, Lauren. Welcome. How are you? Good. Great, Chris. I can't complain at all. I'm safe and well. I think that's all we can sort of ask for at the moment. Let's start. Packaging is an interesting sector, given the intersection of a consumer-facing product and the commodity exposure. It's a mature sector, typically carrying defensive fundamental characteristics, but the landscape is ever-changing. So some excitement in high-yield packaging lately, not something we hear very often. In an exceptional year for new issuance, we had another notable feat, which is a Ball Corp that issued the lowest-yielding 10-year high-yield bond. They did just over, I guess, $1.3 billion of 2 and 7 eighth notes due 2030. What's going on here? Yeah, that's, that's, that was great and interesting. And let me say, you know, packaging has been anything but boring during COVID-19, but we'll get into more into that later. So uh, about Ball. So Ball Corp is the leading manufacturer of beverage cans in the world. The company has nearly a 50% market share in nearly every major market where it competes. Now, currently, the beverage can supply is very tight as the entire global market is in a sold out position until 2021 or even perhaps longer. Now, supply was tight already coming into the year, and COVID-19 dialed the vice grip even tighter, so to speak. Thus, with Ball being dominant in the global market, it was easy for investors to be okay with the company using capital to add more capacity, particularly as as most of it is already contracted before it's built. However, we note that management has been clear that they have no aspirations for investment grade, and it will direct cash to shareholders before looking to attain credit metrics that the agencies will find on par with a triple B rating, hence the spread. Thanks. We've also had another interesting deal, you know, amidst all the uncertainties that we've seen in the market with COVID, what have you, you know, we have Reynolds Group that is going through some strategic shifts. Reynolds, they announced a spin, they filed documents for an IPO. Can you walk us through what their strategy is there? Um, Sure. Yeah, there are a few um, moving parts here with Reynolds. So first they moved to effectively separate its grand packaging business, making an unrestricted subsidiary and then raising $1.9 billion of debt at the entity. This included a $510 million eight-year senior unsecured nose deal, which came in seven and eight, and this was done just like a week after Ball was done. So Graham makes rigid plastic packaging, laundry detergent bottles, motor oil jugs, and ketchup bottles are some of its most familiar products. The company had experienced pretty significant volume declines for the past few years, mostly as a result of what we call substrate substitution, as plastics is most people know are going out of favor. So think about how liquid laundry detergent has been replaced by pods and like plastic juice bottles being replaced by cartons. Also, price competitions and moves to self-manufacturing by customers have been quite a challenge to the business's results. However, COVID-19 changed the company's outlook and has brought more of a stable demand forecast for the company. Also, over the last few years, Graham has invested in its manufacturing base, rationalizing capacity and cutting costs, such that its margins have improved significantly ahead of that demand improvement that I just spoke about. So while the higher coupon is, is definitely more reflective of the lack of apparent guarantee and higher leverage at the entity, which is around five times, these bonds have traded pretty well after they were issued and now yield around 6% on the offer side. Additionally, you know, as you indicated, Rental has 
and has made plans to IPO the remainder of his business, this being his Pactive and Evergreen segments. So Pactive has two end markets, food serving containers, so you think about takeout clamshells, french fry boats, and drink cups, as well as retail grocery containers, or the, like the plastic container that she cake would come in from the bakery or a pack of muffins or croissants. The other business, Evergreen, primarily makes drink cartons and closures, yet it also has some exposures to the catalog printing papers. Now we highlight that Reynolds had actually successfully IPO'd its consumer products business in late 2019. And these are the products that most people are familiar with, Reynolds wrap, aluminum wrap, hefty bags, et cetera. And that, that stock is up 28% since its debut and trades under the ticker REYN. However, you know, to investors, the value of consumer products under COVID-19 is pretty clear. Conversely, Pactive and Evergreen's products saw high double-digit demand declines in the second quarter with a continued closure of event spaces, venues, offices, schools, and universities weighing very heavily on its results. As a result, we're pretty skeptical around this proposed IPO transaction from Reynolds, and we moved to a market perform on the legacy Reynolds notes and an outperform on Graham. I gotcha. I mean, I guess between the combination of Ball and, and, and Graham coming to the market, we've seen a lot of new issuance on the backside of earnings uh, across the corporate landscape. You know, obviously that's true here for the packaging names. Yeah, how did these guys do in earnings? You know, what, what did the sector look like in general? Yeah, so in general, 2Q earnings season was pretty strong for high yield packaging. Results were fueled by the impact of COVID-19 related consumption trends that developed late in the first quarter. We saw actually saw most of our packaging names reinstate their full year guidance after having withdrawn them previously. And um, others even raised some expectations for the year. So we highlight Silgan, which is a company that makes food cans and dispensers. So you think about like the pumps for bottles of hand sanitizers. This company's actually had a beaten raise for the last two consecutive quarters. But overall for the sector, as it's you know known to be defensive, free cash flow remains strong, liquidity is largely intact, and companies seem to have a greater vi- uh, degree of visibility and confidence for the balance of 2020. Let's dig into a little bit of the of the pandemic impact. Um, obviously, it's changed the way that all of us are living our lives. There's a focus on clean, sanitized type of goods. We're spending time at home. That's something we're all familiar with. And that means uh, a lot of us have switched over to get more stuff that's delivered rather than going to stores. Uh, what does that mean for your credits? Yes, definitely, Chris. You're tapping into some of the narratives that we've been sharing with our investors for high yield packaging as a whole. And there are a few that we've been focused on since COVID-19 hit. You know, so the first one we, you know, we've been calling our bottoms up narrative. And this is like the new trend that we've been seeing in alcoholic beverage consumption under COVID-19 versus what we saw in previous downturns, you know, particularly like under the great financial crisis, which is the most recent. So when we ran our stress test on the packaging sector back in March, we pulled some data on beer consumption in 2009. That year in North America, overall beer consumption was down 1.9% with cans up 3.3% and bottles down 8.1%. And this difference was likely due to a shift from on-premise consumption, this is like in bars and restaurants, to off-premise consumption, which is basically means at home. So we anticipated trends to be similar under COVID-19 due to stay-at-home orders and with venue closures. However, the data is tracking differently than during previous downturns. So according to Nielsen, year-to-date off-premise beer consumption is up 16%. In other categories, such as wine and spirits, the numbers are similar in the 20 plus percent area. And I also want to highlight, you know, one of my new personal favorites, spiked seltzer category. During the 15 week period into June 13th, hard seltzer off-premise sales within the U.S. quadrupled on a year to year basis, an increase of over $900 million. All of this bodes well for those who make beverage packaging, more so on the can side. 
Thus, Ball Corporation we spoke about earlier is a clear beneficiary given its leading market share. This is also very positive for other beverage can makers like Crown Holdings and Ardog. And lastly, while volumes are projected to be in the negative for the year, Owens, Illinois, which is a glass um, packaging manufacturer, will benefit from the tight supply of cans as beverage companies are having to opt to use bottles instead of cans to meet you know, demand from their customers. So you talked about, you know, clean and sanitize. This is what we call, you know, our clean and safe narrative. So essentially, you know, essential items are in very high demand. We've all seen recent headlines about Clorox wipes being sold out in 2021. And, you know, getting cans of Lysol has turned to be a bit of a sport in groups on Facebook. I actually saw some staggering data on the amount of need for disposable masks. The need for personal use will grow the market for disposable masks from under 600 million in 2019 to an estimated 75 billion for 2020. And you think about the magnitude of those numbers, it, it's kind of staggering, but it makes sense. As I discussed with a client recently, you know, my best friend is a dentist and she of course uses these in the line of work every day, like out of necessity. You know, medical professionals are just a, a small slice of the population, but now everyone needs them. And everyone needs, you know, multiple of them, you know, during the course of a week. And now and they're made out of plastic. You have the wipes that I mentioned earlier, also made of you know woven pulp or plastic, depending on the type of wipe. As people are looking to protect themselves and their families from the threat of COVID-19, the level of precautionary measures have no limit. Those companies like like Berry, Sealed Air, Mauser Packaging, Silgan, and Graham stand to benefit from these trends, which are likely not to end anytime soon. And then lastly, as you touched upon, you know, deliveries, at-home deliveries, which we call the new at-home economy, and the need for packaging to support it. Bopus, you know, the buy online, pick up in store. Home Depot reported online sales up 100% for the second quarter, with 60% of that being picked up from the store. You have Instacart, you have Uber Eats, you know, new adopters for both of these businesses that, you know, may not have used them at all prior to COVID-19. These orders are driving demand for bags and containers as meals are being taken away and delivered. We also see increased demand for electronics, desktop computers, laptops, tablets, monitors, and the related shipping products and void fill, you know, for this packaging, there's increased demand for that. And then, of course, there's just the overall Amazon effect with just more packages being delivered overall. Those cardboard boxes are actually made by the investment grade issuers in our space. But however, we think about names who will see direct benefit from this trend. Again, we think about Sealed Air, we think about Crown, we think about Silgan, and to some degree, Reynolds. I think all of our listeners are pretty familiar with those trends, and it's just uh, you know hard to appreciate the magnitude of the impact of, of the change in behavior that we've done, and, and how that trickles through when, when multiplied by the uh, eight billion people in the world, or three hundred plus million people that are here in the U.S. But it certainly shows up in the issuers and, and and their performance. You know, even prior to the pandemic, you know, when consumers purchase something, whether or not that they didn't know it, they're making a packaging decision. You know, we've seen rotations of consumer appetite between plastic, glass, aluminum, and paper for a whole host of reasons. You know, what are some of those market shifts that are happening? And, and you know, as you discuss the impacts of, of COVID-19, you know, how much of those displace what, what previously might have been you know, some environmental concerns? That's a, that's a great question. Now, as you stated, like, you know, prior to COVID-19, the focus on packaging is really about sustainability. And that's really what kind of drove, you know, some of those rotations of consumer appetite. So consumer products were positioning their products to be more green overall. We think about Amazon's frustration-free packaging initiative to reduce the overall amount of packaging it uses when it sends out an item, eliminating the box in a box. Then the replacement of plastic containers at your favorite hot bar with paper containers. The elimination of single-use plastic bags, encouraging shoppers to bring their own bags or buy reusable bags, or even to bring your own cup to like, you know, Starbucks. And then lastly, there was everyone's favorite, the paper drinking straw. 
you know, overall green initiatives were designed to improve recycled content of plastic packaging or to reduce the use of plastic overall and just reduce waste. Well, with the onset of COVID, a lot of this went by the wayside. First of all, the bring your own anything was quickly out the door and plastic bags came back with a vengeance in many jurisdictions. For instance, I read that the state of California went through over a billion bags in just over a month or so in the early stages of COVID. And we talked about clean and safe. Well, plastic, you know, tends to be synonymous with that. Now, as we learn more, it seems to be proven that the virus doesn't have much of a half-life on surfaces, but nonetheless, you know, chances are not to be taken. So we know that a lot of the bag bans have basically been put back in place with additional guidelines around bring your own bag. And also because of volume of material, as well as recycling businesses have been deemed non-essential, you know, collection rates fell significantly, which is definitely not a step in the green direction. Yeah. So, you know, as these things play out, you know, how adaptable are these companies? And I guess from a credit perspective, you know, what are some of the things that investors need to look for to differentiate within these names? Sure. Well, again, you know, high packaging is considered defensive because of, you know, a few reasons, a strong free cash flow characteristics space, its resilience, healthy margins, which are often, you know, protected by contractual cost path-through agreements. So these are some of the reasons that credit profiles are generally favorable. However, we think investors should be wary of names that are looking to be, you know, shareholder friendly, particularly in this environment. And we also caution investors to look out for companies that have been acquisitive in the past, looking to continue to buy growth and maintain higher risk profiles with higher leverage over time. We know the sector does experience a fair amount of transaction volume. However, valuations were pretty high prior to COVID. The current dislocations was very short, which left a limited amount of time for any real deals to be had, it seems. But we continue to expect these transactions to occur in the near future. I guess uh, just to dig into that a little bit, you know, what do you like in the sector and, and where do you avoid? You know, overall, you mentioned the defensive characteristics. You know, where are we in that cycle? Should, should investors you know, take on risk in their credit views or, or, or be cautious on, on where valuations are? Sure. Well, there's been quite a bit of recovery in the market over the last few months, but we do think there's still some pockets of opportunity in a couple of places to avoid. So things that we like, you know, we like OI Glass or, or, or what's known as ON Illinois. As again, we say this is a global manufacturer of glass bottles and containers for food and beverages. The company actually recently engaged in two important transactions that improved its balance sheet and cash flow. First, it filed its subsidiary, Paddock subsidiary for bankruptcy to deal with its asbestos liabilities, which freed up like $300 million of cash flow per year from not having to pay out those claims. And next, the company was able to divest its Australian New Zealand business unit, receiving net proceeds of $620 million from the sale. So net leverage stood at 4.1 times on a pro forma basis for this transaction as compared to 4.8 times before the transaction. The company was able to improve its volume outlook also for the year from a decline of 5 to 10 percent to a tighter range of 4.4 to 7 percent decline as economic activity has improved in the late second quarter and the early third quarter. Overall, the company's liquidity is in really good shape and we expect a solid finish to the year. So investors can earn, you know, 100 basis points or more over similar duration crown holdings paper um, with OI, you know, yielding about 4 percent in three to five percent, three to five year part of the curve. And then as far as, you know, PANS, you know, as we mentioned earlier, you know, we're cautious on rentals now or legacy rental with the effective separation of grand packaging and as it looks to try to IPO the legacy business. So, you know, legacy rental was left with higher leverage around five times as compared to four and a half at grand, you know, the weaker underlying fundamentals that we spoke of and a slightly weaker cash flow profile. So we're cautioning investors to look elsewhere in the triple C tier. Graham is a good option, but we also do like RDOC, which has similar underlying fundamentals to OI and Ball. 
All right. Well, thanks, Lauren. This has been this has been fantastic, and appreciate the discussion. I know it's been, you know, very busy last couple of months as we deal with the the developments from COVID nineteen, and then the flow through to earnings, new issues, and and as we talked about a little bit earlier, some change into the strategic direction. So, thank you very much. Sure, no problem. And thank you, listeners. As always, you can find our research on our website at creditsites.com, or if you're not a subscriber, please contact us at sales at creditsites.com. Credit Sites Disclaimer. All price references correspond to the date of this recording. This podcast should not be copied, distributed, or produced in whole or in part. Neither Credit Sites nor its affiliates makes any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of any information complained in this podcast. Credit Sites is not providing investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice, is not providing research or making any recommendations, nor is Credit Sites offering or soliciting any transaction with respect to the purchase or sale of any security. Received by the listener of this podcast is not not the giving of advice by Credit Sites or its affiliates.